This episode is brought to you by Plastic Surgery of the Carolinas. I love Plastic Surgery of the Carolinas personally. I go there because I love doing lasers on my skin. I'm not going to pretend that I don't do those things or take care of my skin. I spent a ton of my life in the sun. And so when my skin gets dry or it gets dull, I really love the Clear and Brilliant laser. Um, they have the latest and the greatest Clear and Brilliant touch skin resurfacing laser. Um, for me, I like this because it's the golden standard for improving your skin's tone, texture, and radiance while building collagen and reducing pigment. It also helps with the appearance of fine lines and wrinkle. What's, what you have to know, because I didn't know this as well, is it doesn't show up right away. So you gotta give yourself like three weeks before you think that it's not working. And then after those three weeks, people are like, oh my gosh, what did you do to your skin? Like tons of my brown spots fell off. Your skin will feel a little like dry at first, but Clear and Brilliant is my absolute, absolute favorite laser. Um, this laser uses an advanced treatment with two different handheld devices and two different wavelengths of laser for significantly improved results than the actual original Clear and Brilliant laser. So this is like the Mac Daddy. And here is the coolest part, you guys. This laser treatment for one treatment is usually $550. If you mention the works when you call them, they're doing them for our family for $250 a pop. Okay, that is more than 50% off the laser. This is the best offer we have ever had. So if nothing else, send this podcast to your friends so they can hear this ad. So when you call up there, mention the works and they are going to basically give you these lasers for free. Do you hear me? Their phone number 843-881-3881. Make sure you tell them that Sarah Frick from the works sent you to get your laser discount. They are located in Mount Pleasant off a of Long Point Road. The staff is fabulous. They answer all your questions. They're super kind, super laid back. Go, go, go. They have tons of other options, treatments, everything from plastic surgery to injectables. It really is an amazing experience. I'm not just saying that. They're kind, they're generous. They're really good at their work, so go check them out. Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today, we are on the phone with Mark Howard, who is currently in Canada. Um, Mark, tell us a little bit about you, your mission, what you do, and we will unravel all of it. All right. Well, my name is Mark Howard. Um, I'm a 48-year-old male living in Canada. I was born and raised in Canada, Um, grew up in a city, moved to the country in about grade eight. You know, had a pretty wild wild child time and growing up, managed to go to university and uh, educate myself in uh, English and philosophy and then switched to um, a couple years of um, science approximately like two full years of science enough to really get my chemistry, biology, statistics, math, calculus, um, chemistry, things like that down, just to get a basic understanding of um, science. I wanted to sort of understand the world uh, in terms of um, uh, like E equals MC squared. Um, you know, there's the artistic way of looking at the world, and then there's also this language of... Um, equations, which I, I felt it was necessary for me to learn more of this language of scientific, the word science in Latin means to know. So um, once I sort of got through about three and a half, almost four years of university, really challenging myself, switching over into a, a science major, I decided that, you know, I needed to kind of go out in the world again for a while, which I did. And I moved to um, out west coast of Canada, took up snowboarding, odd jobs, um, kind of just was sort of like living uh, a little bit free and wild, maybe not really, you know, um, 
I mean, I guess I was on my destiny's path. As it all turned out, it, it all ended up being a, a learning experience. But I wasn't really um, putting my best foot forward in terms of um, really fulfilling, you know, life's good choices. I, I was basically, you know, drinking alcohol too much, dabbling in, you know, different forms of um, drugs and addiction. I never really, you know, became um, one of the people that was involved with, heavily with heroin or anything like that or now fentanyl, but, you know, other things equally sort of damaging. Anyways, um, I was about 37 and I um, got a girl pregnant. And is that process of realizing that, you know, I was kind of at a, a turning point in my life. I had a decision to make and that was like, you know, whether I wanted to bring this child into the world, you know, where with the lessons that I had sort of, or, or the sort of the, the things I had seen where, you know, kind of like, um, this way of life was sort of normalized, mm -hmm. you know, using alcohol and things like that. I'm not really understanding, but I had a part of me that also knew there was a, there's a very different side to the world, I guess, spiritually. So <clears throat> I sort of struggled, uh, for the first few months there, like, you know, seeing counseling, going to different sort of, uh, traditional, like, you know, all alcoholics, anonymous, uh, drugs anonymous sort of things and it just it wasn't penetrating me it was just like talking to counselors and things like this like yes i understood it i could see it i could hear it but it just it wasn't in there it wasn't this sort of catalyst change that was able to like you know go in and grab me and say hey you know what this is how you're going to do this this is why i guess i could say in terms it was sort of shallow i don't know i i think i grew up my whole life um dealing with counselors and different things like that in one way or another, or maybe I built up a bit of a rebellious aggression towards um, authority. I'm not sure how you want to say it, but for some reason it just wasn't working. And I was getting to about three months before my child was born, and I had a friend sit down at uh, lunch with me one day and say, hey, have you heard of this plant medicine called Ibogaine, Iboga? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I have never heard of that. He goes, you know what, because it was just so random. It was pretty early. This was in, you know, I don't know, 2009. 12 or something and uh he went to a garage sale and just heard it and he just brought it to me but as soon as i heard that i was like that makes more sense to me and i guess you can sort of see that with how i resonate towards stuff like that plant medicines made sense to me i was like i just went right home right away and i remember like just researching mm -hmm. right away diving into like okay africa where's it from oh yeah wow okay there's a tradition around it wow how do i you know i never really resonated in going towards what i'll later explain sort of the ibogaine route mm -hmm. i really resonated with the with the traditional path of this this medicine so i looked up and found a shaman that was in uh, costa rica that was um practicing this um using this medicine iboga in a traditional way and i you know borrowed eight grand <laughs> and went um and this was all before your child was born? What's that? This was before your child was born? Yeah, two months before my child was born. I actually flew the the girl down there um, when I was done treatment, and we stayed another week. And she was uh, over seven months. She was almost at the point where she was not allowed to fly. Um, and that was it. That, you know, that started on a total pivotal path, that experience. You know, going there and, you know, everybody was kind of like, uh, I'll be honest, I told my family, hey, you know what, like, listen, I'm going to Africa to do a, uh, I mean, I'm going to Costa Rica to do a, a plant medicine, you know, and that just was kind of like put everybody right over the top. Right. Like, there's, 
you know, like that point, everybody just thought, you know, wow. I, I'm, it's hard to say, like, you know, I, I just think that kind of was like, because you have such a pattern of people recognizing you and the way you are, they know the good, but a lot of times people, they've just been hurt so many times, they get preconditioned to accept that you're just going to, you know, fail or you're just kind of, who knows what you're doing now and going to Costa Rica with a whole bunch of money right. to do to do what with who? Right, what? right. Like, I mean, this this term to me, me being as wild as I am, was still out there, you know, yep. let alone, you know, so it, it completely is, is, is out of the normal context of traditional so can pharmaceutical. You, will you tell us just cause our, for our listeners that have no idea what any of this is, could you tell us about your first experience? So I went to be honest and I remember like landing the plane, I had a lot of money and I remember thinking, Oh my God, like I'm in Costa Rica. I could go like, you know, but it, it wasn't, I was determined it was something in me, and that's the amazing part about it, is like something was resonating with this inner voice of mine, this soul, like something was real here, and, and I was going to keep on the path. And so the woman, her name was Liz, was there to pick me up at the airport, and so I didn't stray, and I went to the house, where I, uh, the big house where I was going to do this, and I remember like going in there that night, and then I was the only one there with another girl, and she was um, doing the treatment that night, and I just heard a bunch of screaming. Mm. And I was like, what have I got myself into? But <laughs> yeah, seriously. Even, well, even after all this time, I realized, like, the girl that was doing it that night, she actually had um, a really, a, a much rougher experience than normal because she had, she had a stomach problem. She had a stomach issue, which, you know, it's, it's, it still works. It still worked out. It just made it a little more difficult mm-hmm. for her, which is why we do a lot of, like, um, you know, heavy, a lot more heavy pre-screening and things like this now. But anyways, I um, went... The next day, my turn, you know, had this talk, and I was just like, you know, he was talking, and the shaman was talking to me, and the woman were there, and 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 he's just, you know, he, I remember him asking me a question like, okay, if if this person, you know, told you this, and then you you asked your sister the same question, you know, who would you believe? I'm like, well, I believe my sister. It was like easy for me, right? And I was like, what? This is my sister. He goes, exactly. So you know how to recognize the truth, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, right. And 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 he said, okay, well, that's good. You you'll be fine. You're not you're not that bad. You're going to be good. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, how is something going to just all of a sudden make me good? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I was even thinking, is he just, like, beat me? Like, whip me? Like, and I, I didn't know, you know, how is this medicine going to do that? But I took it. I laid down. And I remember, like, it wasn't very long before I got the very first feelings of the medicine. And it wasn't in terms of, like, you know, these big hallucinations or this, like, really radical feeling in my body. It was, like, this subtle, gentle awareness that sort of creeped didn't creep in, but it just became apparent in my awareness, like in my inner voice, in my thoughts. And it just instantly said to me, like, you know, and I recognized like almost like true love and and very welcoming. And I just, I knew that there was, I couldn't believe I knew there was a medicine here, that there was something now on this earth that was, it was actually going to be able to help. Right. That was actually a good, a good force. You know, it, I recognized the goodness very early on. And then, you know, went through, you know, what iboga is like. It's very difficult to explain iboga because, I mean, it's like trying to explain somewhat drinking water is like without actually drinking water. You can explain, you know, it's cold and it's like it goes down your throat and it's thirst quenching. But, I mean, until you're actually, that doesn't really help somebody. Right. So, and then I remember, you know, at one point in my thing, I had like a vision where it was like almost like a dream, like your inner, inner eye, you know, like, almost like an image of myself coming up and it was almost like I became like a big mirror, like the predator where he's almost in, he's, he matches the surroundings mm-hmm. and I froze. And then I 
started leaning forward and just fell and hit the ground and just blew into like a million pieces. Uh, just a series of these things, which like, you know, this, this began happening over and over. And then there was, you know, one point where I, um, sort of having these images of a little jackhammer in my pocket. And, and I remember like turning around and this is me and my, it's almost like you're in a waking dream. This is happening. This is a projection now inside my, my mind's eye. Right. And I'm, you know, and I'm just sort of looking around and I looked at this and as I saw this like jackhammer in my back pocket going, bum, 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 look at me. I, I noticed a big blue sort of bright light. And as I looked up, it was this big diamond blue, my soul. Mm-hmm. which was like just this emanating beautiful force that was me. And I was kind of like hunched over in it. I wasn't living up to my true energy and my potential. Just these images were speaking to in, in me in ways of not necessarily English language. They were speaking to me, not necessarily a language that even anyone would understand. It was, it was basically me speaking to me in ways that I would understand. Right. And because of that, um, intense, true dialogue between, you know, myself and myself, I was able to connect. It, it wasn't shallow anymore. It, it pulled me deeper into the truth. It was something that, you know, I wasn't being told. There was no, I didn't have to have an author, authoritarian, sort of rebellious viewpoint. That, that was gone. It was, I became where it was understanding. And it was up to me to understand this information if I wanted to help myself. So everything that was told to me before, like, I will be better and I will be okay, it became my responsibility, and I realized it was up to me. And even though I know a lot of people realize that, it's still hard to do. But as you continue down this road of truth and you continue to want to, um, you know, become a better person, these images and these this dialogue that you set up with your own soul becomes the guiding force that helps you um, reinforce that structure to allow you to to follow that spiritual path, which is what a tradition is. And the so, tradition that they use after yeah. this first time, just so we can, uh, I want to ask you all those questions too. But just so after this first time, was that like your first step to healing? Like after you went when you all went home. It's, you've never like, I don't know if the word is looked back, but you, you've been on this like trajectory since. No, um, it was a good start. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was, it was a huge start. I remember being challenged like immensely when I got home, like, uh, you know, situations where like, you know, you know, there was lots of situations. Um, but I managed to, you know, get, get through a lot of them. And then, um, you know, I I, I slipped up again. I, I don't think I did actually. I think I went. I went back again, like you know, six months or a year later. And then, so I was on this track. Now, um, I kept going back. Then I went back to train again. Then I ended up going to Africa. You know, then then I like you know I've been to Africa now four times. I've been to Costa Rica probably fifteen times. Will you, you know, tell us a little bit about like how you you know you go back and then all of a sudden you decide you're gonna now you're gonna do this for other people, right? Yeah, like I think so, you know, you you, be, you get to a certain place. Like for some people, I'm sure, you know, I've had certain people I've, I've worked with or treated and, you know, here's the sad truth. It's like, or the sad happiness or the happy happiness. It's like, you know, there's some people that that's it. They one time and, you know, they just get it. And that's, they, they turn their life around. But I also have 11 people who aren't here anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's 11 people. That's for real number. You know, that's even a family member. 
uh, very close to me. So, it, you know, and with myself, I, I realized almost in really early in the beginning, I, I the, the medicine is really good. So we have a process where you ask questions sort of to your soul, not sort of, but you do, you learn to sort of, um, you learn to, to really, um, build that, that mechanism of dialogue between yourself and you and your soul. And, you know, asking yourself truthful questions. And then and one of the earliest questions I had was, am I a healer? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be a healer? And then and I just answered myself. This is actually the first time I ever really realized this whole process because I said, am I going to be a healer? And then I said to my, I said, I answered, I said, you are a healer. But I thought to myself, like, why would it be so easy for me to answer myself? Like, I'm just answering my own questions. Mm-hmm. And I even asked that when I was on a boga and the shaman just said, well, because it's the truth you're answering yourself with. And, that, and then I realized that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could be manipulating whatever answer I want to be, really. I could be saying whatever to whatever. But when you're talking to yourself and your soul, you know, that's truthful. Just recognize it and accept it. Right. So I realized pretty quick on I wanted to work with this and, you know, really dedicated my life towards it since. I had a few slip-ups for sure because I think, like, with me, that's the thing, too, with this medicine, you know, and with, you know, where we want to go with this conversation, but with traditional therapies, I mean, you get yourself to a certain level. And sometimes, especially with being a healer, you elevate yourself higher and higher. And so the challenges become, you know, quite significant. You know, like, if I would have just not decided to work with people and, you know, I still would have had maybe challenges and issues, but I definitely put my, put my, I definitely put myself to the test a lot by, by working forward with this medicine and going to Africa and, you know, continuing. It came to a point where, you know, I would be really good and I thought, oh, hey, you know what, I can drink again. Right. I can, um, you know, my family's here, you know, even to be honest, once, because they use ceremonial palm wine in uh, Africa, and this is just being honest there, and I actually started drinking palm wine in Africa and then I came back home. Like this is after, you know, Africa with the medicine. But right. Because it's kind of what they say is addiction is not a disease, it's a choice. You know, that really stirs up a lot of uh conversations. Trust me on that one. Right, I'm sure. Um so, you know, I, I had to really, you know, eventually I had to realize, you know what, I can't I do I can't drink. Like that's a decision I need to make. Like that even allowing that into my life a little bit you know, you may think you have control over it, but eventually, and for me, I could say right now, it just, it ruins that inner dialogue with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts becoming where it's just, it, it's not, I don't keep on point with that inner dialogue. The alcohol somehow with me, um, it, 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 it twists the truth a little bit. Right. Maybe to its own advantage. And then, and then there's some control there where I, I might not be making the best decisions anymore. For, for me. So for me, it became a choice. Like, listen, how much is your life worth and what, what do you want from it? And and what value are you getting from, from, you know, I love wine. I love wine at dinners. I love having beers with after skiing or something. You know what I mean? But I had to make that choice to be clear um, in my life, to be able to make the right choices so that I can like not only you know have a good life. Now I have three children. I have three boys. Now I have a six month old, a five year old and a 10 year old. Right. So, um, it's a learning process. This is this is a medicine that enables you to be able to be truthful with yourself and to get answers to the questions you have and allow you to see, you know, rise above your life and see where you want to go. You know, see where you're out, see where you are, accept where you are and then decide where you want to go. So when you were in, so you went to Costa Rica and then for going to Africa, because um, I had a friend who went to Africa, I think with you maybe, or went maybe by himself, I don't know, but he just said it was like 
an amazing experience. And so did you do Africa before you started facilitating for other people? Uh, yeah, in my particular case, yes, I did. So I know who you're talking about, and that was a recent trip. The first time I went was 2013, 2014, 2015, 2018. Wow. And I'm going again this year. Um, I actually did. I respected, you know, I'm not saying this is my personal choice, was to really, really work hard training and, and healing myself, getting myself healed. Like, so for instance, say I'm working with someone, right? And, you know, I'm not clear. Well, that's going to come through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, especially on the level that when we go in and do what we call a psycho-spiritual, where we use the medicine to guide someone to their own soul, to be able to ask themselves those questions to, to, you know, get into that really deep healing. That's like spiritual surgery. You know, you're becoming like a spiritual surgeon, allowing, the, you know, facilitating the medicine in the right the right dosing and the right environment and the right um, speech, talking, you know, with with uh, helping someone direct so they can connect like that, you got to be, you have to be really clear. You can't be, you know, bouncing off your own problems or innuendos or or things just even unintentionally in those in those sessions. So, um, so I needed to make sure that you know I really got myself. You know, at some point you got to stop healing and start living. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And so, um, you know, I really I really put a lot of effort into my training. And I did that for years, two, three years, went to Africa. I went to Africa twice because my first trip was my, I did initiations where I was introduced into the, the tradition with the medicines. And then the second trip was a, I did a full-on rites of passage, which I can attest to the person you're talking about. Um, he, he is um, doing the same things. The rites of passage is a little more um, of, a, of the uh, Gabonese, it's, it's less medicine and more that rites of passage going from a sort of boyhood to manhood. Mm-hmm. You know, like you learn things like, you know, not to, you know, to treat your wife with utmost respect, you know, not to, your parents are right not to, not to, you know, not to um, abuse yourself or your soul or your parents or, and to really value life and to understand and learn a bit about what, what life really is, you know, and that, and that is one um, part of the trip. It's called the rites of passage that, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but that is one of the options you can undertake when you go to Africa. And mostly what else is done there is where you work with Iboga in the in the initiations, which is where you do the ceremonies, the all-night ceremonies, where you take medicine and dance. You know, the, I think the main goal of the whole ceremony is, you know, for one, there's a lot of healing that goes down. It's, it's their doctor's office as well. So there's a lot of, like... Um, situations within the village and the people that, you know, get attended to during those ceremonies. But it's also a time where everyone, you know, as the night goes on, becomes really dressed up in their traditional um, attire, regalia, and dance. You know what I mean? It's a time where I, I feel it's the highest expression. It's like it's almost the highest expression that, you know, your soul wants to be happy. It's like a child and wants to just dance and sing and be happy and mm-hmm. really express yourself. So I, I see it, you know. It could be sort of like, I mean, if you're looking from the outside in, almost a fearful thing like, oh, my God, look at all the fire. And they're up all night and they're eating this wild, strong plant medicine from Africa. But once you actually go into it and go through it, mm-hmm. you realize how much love is involved with this and how much the the goal is to just allow your soul to express itself and be so humble and thankful for the gift of life, to really understand how precious what we really have is to be separated from all the, like, you know, the news, the media, the, even your family, every, everything, just 
to be there with your own soul and to be able to like really be immersed in the presence of what I would almost say God or life itself, you know, which become becomes a realization that you're a part of it, you know, and to be able to express that, like, you know what, like, here's, here's this wonderful gift I have, these feet, my arms, this life, you know, let me dress up and look beautiful. And now let me go on that dance floor. And, and even with, you know, us there, these guys have been doing this their whole life. They're amazing dancers and impeccable instrument players, you know, and for us, what I've learned is like, you just do your best. These guys will never, you know, you don't, you, some, I was really nervous in the beginnings, you know, Oh my God, I got to go on the dance floor. You know, right. <laughs> I realized even now when they, when they say my name, I don't even think anymore. I just jump up and I grab the torch and I go. The last time I went so hard, they had to stop me. Now I got to learn how to like stop. <laughs> so for the people uh, that like don't know a lot about plant medicine, and I think, you know, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in where we live, um, microdosing is becoming more familiar with people. And I know this is different. Can you explain just how that, what the hell that looks, what your thoughts on all that are? Yeah, so I mean, okay, so let's look at it like I'm just going right off of my mind is telling me right now. Like everybody knows how to buy a car there. There's lots of different car dealerships. There's all sorts of different cars for everybody. There's small ones, electric ones, trucks, um, you know, you name it. There's there's a ton of different vehicles. And that's similar to right now. There's a lot of different medicines out there. If we're talking about the plant medicine world, you know, ayahuasca, wachuma, uh, peyote, we have MDMA now, ketamine. We have all these different that are classified psilocybin. Some are slipping sort of out of plant medicines, but there's still like an alternative sort of medicine, iboga. Um, now, when the movie, the documentary quickly was called Dosed, right? It was called Microdose Me in the beginning because they were going to microdose her on mushrooms. Adrian. Mm-hmm. The first thing I said when they phoned me is that we should change the name of the movie to Macrodose Me. Um, so back to the analogy of the cars everywhere. So everyone has these, you know, sort of options of, of, of what, to, what to take and what to do. What's going to fit in best for what the person has or what they, what they, why they want to take it. So why is somebody wanting to take it to begin with? Okay, so there's the question. Why does someone want a microdose? And they say, well, you know, I want a microdose because... Um, are they being honest with themselves? I just want to have a good time. But really, are they taking it because something they feel like they need to resolve? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and and is this thing that they, they might also be going like, hey, you know what, I I'm I'm having a hard time right now because I'm smoking cigarettes, say, or like, you know, what I'm eating too much. But are they really willing to understand why they are even deciding to eat too much? Why they're letting themselves eat too much, and what that's going to lead to? You know. Is that going to, like, they're going to start, you know, maybe taking a little bit of microdosing to help them, you know, you know, not eat so much. But then they're going to start doing that. You know, and, and this is a good time to introduce this. I think the one thing that should be known about microdosing is, like, you don't want to just, like, I'm gonna, I, I painted myself in a corner here, so how do I do this with cars? I guess you don't want to, like, just get a car that's not going to be functional for um functional for like the roads you're going to do. Like, you know, if you, if you have a big family, you're not going to get a little car. Right. But the, the other thing is too, is you don't want to be like, if, if you're five years old, you, you don't want to be driving a car. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and then if it's icy out, you don't want to drive your car. Okay. Like if it's super icy out and you don't have winter tires, it's not a good time to drive the car. I think what I'm trying to get at here is that there's so many different, um, what would you call it? Um, so many different options here for one, what you're dealing with, why you want to do it. And then what are you going to use to do? And then how much of what you're going to do are you going to use? And then what's the proper time to use what you're going to do to use for what? All right. 
Right. And that's wordy. What I, it's very wordy what I said, but if someone slows down what I just said, I was speaking from a truthful place, and I think it will make a lot of sense. So that's just the one personal thing I have with microdosing. It, it can be amazing. It'd be great. I think people just got to, like, you know, really understand, you know, why they're taking it, when they're taking it, and how they're taking it. So why I'm telling you this is, like, so with Iboga, you know, what we do with ceremonies and what we I've learned is, you know, say say you want to do a ceremony and, you know, you're doing it under the eclipse and someone's told you right when the sun is, you know, right in front of the moon and there's a, there's a corona, um, that's the best time to put your intention in because that's going to really solidify this intention, you know. And I think that ceremonies are like that. There's a proper use of the medicine, you know, where... For, for example, like if you're just going to microdose, you might, you know, you might be okay a couple of days. You've taken it in the morning, you've sat around and you've sort of like, you know, looked at your intentions on what you're going to do. But there might be that fourth, fifth morning where, hey, you just take some and all of a sudden you're out driving your car around. And the messages are going to be very mixed up. You're going to be getting all this outside information. It's kind of like, I'm not saying it's disrespectful because the person might not have meant to do that. It's just, it's not as effective. So what you're, can actually so become, like, because what you do is more of like an inclusive ceremony. And, it's and, totally inclusive. Like, I mean, can we I talk mean, about the do... documentary a little bit or the movie? I don't know which way to call it, but just because I did watch it and I think it'd be so powerful for our listeners to watch it. And I, after I watched it, I reached out to a friend of mine who I've had on the podcast and she lost her son to a fentanyl overdose. And I just thought it was so powerful. Is it, is it Adrienne or Adrian? Is it? A- yeah. So a- Adrian, like, so a week ago, we had a dinner um, for her four-year sobriety, which is amazing mm-hmm. because, you know, so let's go to Adrienne. Adrienne, I was working a lot with people at that point. Um, and so when I was first working with the medicine, I was doing it in a traditional way. So I was using the root bark and the total alkaloid, which is an extract of the root bark, and and, and um, you know, detoxing heroin and things like that. When Adrian came, it's when we started seeing fentanyl and benzodiazepines basically sort of starting to come in. So what I used to do traditionally and the way I did it, so just for example, the, the, the medicine I used worked, worked a lot better with just heroin because I think heroin is kind of like a little more of a natural substance. Mm-hmm. And it was still kind of early back then. So if you do an extract of iboga and then you extract it a couple times, you can isolate one of the molecules from it, and it's called ibogaine. Ibogaine is one of the alkaloids in iboga. Now what they do, now what we would do now is compared to when Adrienne got done, is we would, you know, she, she would... We would have to find out what she's on because you wouldn't want to just treat her with whatever substance she's coming in off the streets. And so we would put her onto a safe supply so that we knew what she was on, like, say, um, some sort of morphine, okay? And then what we would do was use just the, the molecule Ibogaine, I'd say, where you kind of, like, you know, she comes in. So say she's on 600 milligrams of morphine. She comes in one day. We just give her a little bit, like, 100 Right before she goes into withdrawals, we give her just a bit about a hundred micrograms of ibogaine. It takes away her withdrawals a little bit. The next day she comes down, we we put her back on five hundred, 
The next day we do it when she's in withdrawal, another little little hundred of ibogaine. The next day we get her into four hundred. You see the pattern I'm in. So over ten days, you slowly step her down. Okay. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm telling you this, what what I did back then was I was working more with just like I was almost flood dosing these like where someone would come in and they would almost be in withdrawals, and I would give them you know a bigger dose of of a TA and iboga. And so what I realized back then is it's just, it's too much. So those are the doses we use to like put someone in, bring someone into a state of, um, you know, where they can do visions, where we can do that soul work, like I explained earlier about, you know, navigating with your visions to, to do the questions and answers. Right. Okay. So now what, since the movie, what we've realized with those is that it had to be separated into two different parts. So now we do things differently. So what I'm, what I'm, trying to get at here is that with dose, what you're seeing is, is it's all combined. You're seeing a detox mm-hmm. mixed with a psycho-spiritual. Okay. And so it's effective, but it makes it more difficult. So we just do things differently now because of the, because of the fentanyl and because of all these other chemicals, it makes it more dangerous. It puts the body in too much risk to just do it the way I did it. Right. So now what we do is we have two ways of doing it. So Adrienne would come in, and she would get stepped down over a process of like, you know, 10 to 14 days. And then after she's clean, fully clean, she would then come to what we do now, which is uh, the psycho-spiritual, which is good for everyone. It's not just good for, you know, it's not for just addictions. It's good for personal uh, enhancement, life enhancement. Um, it's just great for people to connect with their soul, whether it's questions they want to find out in their own life or they just want to, you know, how to get more more knowledge about life. It, the, the, the tradition is a study of life. So they can use this medicine to study their own life. So back to the documentary, this is what was so interesting about this now with that bit of a pretext I gave you, is that when she came, first of all, she had a really major addiction, okay? So this girl might look squeaky clean in the movie to some people, but she was as hard as they get. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought you port- portrayed that, but I do agree, like, and just as someone who is just someone watching the the documentary. I mean, it was really touching. I mean, it had me fully blown in tears because she's relatable because, like you said, like she's a beautiful woman and she, you know, and then you, she takes you to these streets and you're like, oh, my God, like this is not, it's not the um, the stereotype that you were once told as a child, you know? And it's like this yeah. affects everybody or can affect everybody. Yes, and I think, you know, I think that was a really powerful part of why this, went so far and was able to really reach out to so many people because, and this is the truth about this medicine. These aren't drug addicts that should be swept aside. These are our family members. These are our loved ones. These are our friends. These are humans. These are people it's happening to, you know, people just have a completely normal life and they get an injury. And all of a sudden, you know, before they know it, they're on uh, opiates for it, you know, and then before you know it, they, they cut their prescription off. And so then they all of a sudden they, they end up like eventually on the streets, mm-hmm. yep. you know, like that's, that's what's happened. Um, you know, so Adrienne was on a lot of stuff. And so, and it was the first time. So when she came, they, what they had started doing, if you look in the beginning, but they, they didn't know anything about any of this. So they were trying to just go use mushrooms. Right. And basically like, what they were doing in the beginning of that is like trying to stop, you know, trying to stop a train with, with some rocks on the side of the highway. Right. You know what I mean? That's what that would be like, like trying to throw rocks at a train to stop it. 
you know, even you might, if you like somehow like hit right in the middle of the window and managed to like, I don't know, hit the engineer and then it bounced off and hit the, who knows, like I'm not saying it's not possible with mushrooms, but it just doesn't have that huge physical reset. And also, you know, it's a much, it was much more effective later on to do some of the necessary healing integration work than it was to really tackle the, the severity of that addiction. So first when they phoned me and said, you know, like, cause they show the movie, like, you know, they were giving her mushrooms then she tried to go to the rehab clinic, didn't work. So she was lost and they're basically lost. And when they phoned me, I said, you know, yeah, we'll do this. But I also knew at that point, I didn't want to just go in heavy with, um, on, on, she was on methadone, right? And methadone is, is risky to do with Iboga. So the, the amazing thing that nobody really would know either with that is like, she's one of the first people to ever get really a, a prescription from a doctor for a substance called Cadian, which is like a slow release morphine. So we actually had doctors switch her onto a clean supply instead of methadone. So she was able to get off of the methadone and get onto Cadian, it's called. And, and that was a huge game changer. And so, you know, then I treated her, you know, and, and that the movie's kind of condensed like that, but that's, you know, it, it was a difficult thing. That's over like, you know, probably two, two months and like three full sessions. Mm-hmm. And by session, I mean like a week. Right. Of like two iboga ceremonies. And so, you know, you're just getting the edits, but I guess what had to happen first is I had to get her clean, you know, and so she would get kind of clean and almost, but then she would need a little bit more and that's why we ended up in the hospital and then she would have to be on a little bit. And then, but her determination was like just amazing and she really wanted it. And so she kept going for it. Finally, near the end, you know, if you, you see the next goal, you know, the first thing is to get the body physically clean. Okay. Safely, medically safe, getting someone clean so that, you know, for one, you get the body to stop sending these crazy signals to the mind you know, that you need more, you need more, you need more. You know, because then once once you stop that insanity, you still got to deal with the mind that's still saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. Just the signals aren't sending to it anymore. But this, the mind is still habitually sort of running on that. So then you got to go and heal the mind. Like, you know, and then what's underneath saying why you always need more? What are you covering up? Oh, my God. Then you got to deal with what you're covering up. Then you got to go right down that. And so is and, that when the, how, the, like, the what? ceremony, is that, like, basically what the ceremony is, is to deal with, like, the underlying yeah, so, so reason? For instance, if you see that one part where I say, how are you going to love yourself? And it, and it gets uh, serious, and I say, you know, um, you know, your cat. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost teared up right there because I remember that. Like that that's, it's a flip, like what I call a flip. So it's where, you know, where you, you drag someone in far enough, you know, talking about their cat the whole time, which was a pivotal point for her throughout this, for real, and how much she loved the cat. And then all of a sudden you flip it and say, you know, why don't you have that same sort of love for yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay? And it takes that deep penetration to really see that. You could say that a hundred times in a, in a, in a, in office, you know? Right with someone. I mean, you just, and that's why I've talked with many psychiatrists, psychotherapists. That's why these plant medicines offer such a great option because often they're able to penetrate into the psyche of someone's mental health and ability and their soul to be able to actually cause fundamental and profound change. And because it causes change in your brain. What changes your brain, but it also changes your perception and your understanding. That's the key. So through the change of perception and understanding, a physical change of the brain would occur. You know, uh, so there's a physical, so you, you've hit on a good point. What we learn in the Buddhist tradition is that we live in two worlds. One's the physical and one is the spiritual. 
And I think it's great now that we, we're here right now because what I'm saying is we have two processes now, one where we focus on physical detox mm-hmm. and then the second where we focus on the spiritual detox. Right, and that makes sense. Not, and then the spiritual, um, oh, what's the word I want to use? In, in Freeman, like the spiritual liberation, do you know? Yep. Where, so what I, what I call the pre-talk, which is the super just like medically everything, I became beautiful, keep someone that, you know, really just get them clean really professionally because there's a lot of tricky stuff with the, the stuff that's out there now, especially fentanyl. And then, you know, then there's still a detox. There's still going to be the mental detox. And then there's going to be the difficult stuff of going in because, like, let's, for instance, like, you know, take one event. All of a sudden someone's like gets a flash in their iboga experience, you know, or we go ask the soul, you know, now we're now we're not dealing with the physical addiction. They can actually handle the music. And the music's guiding them. And, you know, they get an image. Oh, my God. Like, oh, I was five. Let's, you know, let's go talk to the five-year-old. Like, why are you hiding in the closet? Oh, because my my dad is beating my mom right now. Right. Okay, let's go talk to your mom. Like, this actually happens. And we just go over it. Like, it's not like the person laying there. So um, that's called the psycho-spiritual. And that's where we, we can begin to truthfully uncover the reality of what experiences or what has caused that person to think the way they're thinking. Okay. Yep. And so, sorry, not to interrupt you, but so just because I think we kind of started talking about this and because I want for people, our listeners that are interested to know that like they don't have to have, you know, a dependency on drugs or alcohol for this to be beneficial as well, because like, you know, we're all healing from something. So it's, it's been, it's, yeah, it's, I think what it's a great word you have is beneficial. It's actually beneficial for people who don't have any drugs or alcohol. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not ever, I mean, the reason why it's just the addicts are saving the clean pe- the, the sober people here mm-hmm. because they're the ones like bringing this medicine in because they're the ones that, you know, sort of like, it was such they're the ones that red flags such it's like it's the same as the medicine the first thing it's going to want to do is get someone physically clean mm-hmm. so it's the same thing as a society as a whole the spiritual medicine is coming in to actually heal us as people right because um the physical addictions like i mean most of the people walking around that right now have just as bad as of addictions but they're just not resulting in the choices like so so my addiction is to be negative to everyone i meet all day long but another person's uh choice is to shoot up with heroin right yeah that makes sense it's it's and then all of a sudden but then you know it's the same thing but one is like even more detrimental maybe because you're hurting all these people and maybe half the people you're hurting are shooting up mm-hmm. so you know you see what i mean yeah and so so what people have to you know it, it, they got to want to heal. Like what's underlying all of the choices basically, you know? And so often like I've had people come and they say to me, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. Okay. That's normal. I've seen, you know, for instance, sexual abuse, nothing to do with drugs. Okay. So women who are super strong, they wouldn't even never touch anything. And I'll be graphic. But every morning they wake up, they hear like, you know, the sound of like, you know, sounds that remind them of being abused from like, you know, through a biological father to a stepfather to friends of the fathers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking extreme versions where mm-hmm. you just go, what the hell is going on out there? Yeah. You know, the, the amount of sexual abuse with women, like it's staggering for me. Like it's almost, it's, it's so staggering. I can't even like 
to be honest, I, I like out of all like it's 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 very very. I'm not even gonna say like a percentage, but I mean it's got to be over probably fifty percent. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, sure, it's skewed towards people that are coming or you know yes, probably yeah. already have a little more. But I mean, it, it's it's just it's you know it's an extremely common thing. And so when you're abused like that at any age like that, right there, your soul has been there's a separation where you know you it's something's crossed the line in your life where then all of a sudden now you take on a different sort of perception of reality and that can be enforced through experiences over your life to really change the outcome of a lot of the way your day goes, Mm -hmm. you know, it changes the way, it changes the way you think. Like if life is just the way you think every day, you know, think about injecting that sort of, you know, negativity that wasn't even your fault. Like basically what it, you know, it's almost like, so say you get abused and you think right away, like as a young child, let's, for example, I must have done something to deserve this, or for some reason life doesn't they don't like me. You know, why would I be hurt? Why would someone do that to me? So then right there, you've already in your mind, think about this, this sort of automatic pattern now that gets in your brain. is like, you know, and it's very cliche, but touche to cliche because it's true. So whether you want to shun it aside, um, you know, it's you, you automatically, so say you good, then you're going into a business and something, and you know, that's still... It either drives people two ways. They either become like super good at stuff because they're so pissed off that they just prove themselves that they're better than what they think they were taught. Does that make sense? Yep. Like, you know, like say a doctor, like you get someone who's a doctor, even a psychotherapist or like a psychiatrist, they help people all day long and they come and they're the hardest clients I have because they're now so afraid to, to drop that shell that they've created. So, so their, their whole life has now been created on that abuse, mm-hmm. that one thought, right? But they're not going to let it go because they're the ones telling other people, how can they be vulnerable now at this point? You get that. Or you get someone who just has a hard time and self-sabotages themselves at every corner because of the same sort of like misguided thought. And so when did you become separated from your soul? When did you stop listening? When did you, when is the fracture? When did that sort of disillusionment, when did that separation occur? And then you got to go back and you got to look at why, you know, mm-hmm. and you got to like, you either, and then most people end up talking to the, to the, say the person who committed the abuse in the beginning. And then most people learn a lot about that. They're either like, wow, you knew, you didn't know anything that you were doing and, or, or there's a huge forgiveness or something, or nothing, and there's just even maybe even a little bit of animosity or anger exists, but the person learns to forgive and let go. Because that forgiveness is just forgiving back to the oneself. So whatever happens, there's a process there. See how deep we are right now? We're so deep in there. Mm-hmm. And even though we're deep, deep on this conversation with listeners and us on the phone, you know, a lot of people resonate with this. Oh, yeah. It takes a powerful medicine like Iboga. Iboga has special qualities that enable someone to really go in there and truthfully understand what impact whatever event had and why at no cost is it worth continuing that pattern on the soul any longer. So how do people like, I'm just listening to you talk and I'm thinking about like my own life's experiences and like, get me crying. But you know, I was telling, I was the other day I had a woman reach out to me who had taken my class and she'd sent me this message. And by the time I got to sit down after my work day and putting my kids to bed, it was like eight o'clock. And she had said, you know, thank you so much for holding the space that you do in the rooms. Um, we have, we teach like yoga and soulful fitness and all this different stuff. She said, you know, I'm living with, um, 
a man right now. She has children and, you know, we're, he's, there's abuse, there's alcohol, all this stuff. And it brought for me up something I hadn't thought about in a long time. Like my mom was married many times. Her second husband was a terrible abusive alcoholic when I was young. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to create this space that where people can feel free, where people don't have to hide their shame or, you know, pretend everything's fine all the time. But then just in that space of like her coming to me with that, I'm like, I got a lot of unresolved shit I got to deal with, you know? So do people yeah. have to get to, and maybe it's all, maybe it's personal for different. Clearly, if you are addicted to drugs and you're trying to get off, that might be your answer. But if it's somebody who has this like emotional trauma and, and stress, because it is a commitment to come, I don't, is it, a, it's like 10 days, I think in Costa Rica, you know, and, and it of course costs money because the facilitators need to be paid and to travel and get your children help. Like, is there a time where you think someone's ready or is it like, you know, when you're ready? Um, I, I think like, okay, so let's look at the world the way it is. I think this should be mandatory, like for everyone, for one. I mean, I think just everything would be better. Um, but I mean, that's not, you know, totally realistic. So, um, in terms of a, of a session, it's, you know, eight spans, eight days. And what it is, is two ceremonies. Now, the first one is kind of focused on say a detox, not in the sense of a drug or alcohol or anything like that. You, you should be clean for like, say a month, at least three weeks a month before you come to this. The detox is just going to be there anyways of you going in and looking at almost what you just described, but in great detail. And, and so it's almost like every thought, there's a lot of somatic stuff that talks about this and how thoughts are intertwined, like um, PTSD, but there's even, so CPTSD, so complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Like that's when, you know, almost like this trauma gets interfabricated into your actual development. It's intertwined into your system. So that detox can be very gut-wrenching, mm-hmm. to, to use the word actually gut-wrenching. Um, like it you know, makes me feel panicky just thinking about it. Well, because, and that's, so that's in you, okay? So like, you think about this, how much is, okay, so whatever it is for a week or whatever, like, you know, say it's $4,000 or $5,000, like, I mean, whatever it should take is, is like, for you, th- there is no measure. That money value is, is negligible to any that you know when you really truthfully want to liberate yourself it's almost like you know i think almost everyone sort of has this where they you know it's just as a it's you know but like i have people who were brought up with the warmest most beautiful you know parents had a lot of money it doesn't matter right like almost almost they get too bored or almost like they get like you know like too too complacent and you know and then they realize the value of life or some some of the most like you know traumatic strongest people or like some people just it doesn't matter it's it's like where in your life are you going you know that you need to like go in and, and um learn about how you can just even go better more appreciative so but for someone like just like what you're saying there's a lot of trauma in there so here's i guess i would say it to you right now is like you just don't know. You, you, you don't even know that there's something like this exists mm-hmm. like I, like i was for the first time when the medicine came in you just don't know that there's something like without taking Iboga, you would never be able to understand. You would just have to kind of like go by the inner voice right now saying to you, there's something about what this guy's talking about. There's something about what I'm reading on the internet. There's something about this medicine. No, there's got to be something. And, and what would it do for me? Some people are afraid to do it because they've become complacent with their situation. And so in order to, you know, they know that it's going to cause great change, but it's just like, they're almost, you know, trusting, um, the, the barriers that they've created, even, even knowing that it's causing damage. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, comfort and complacency just, for sure. Yeah. So you gotta, you know, what you have to really do is like sit and look at a fire 
say, a natural element. Go look at the ocean. Go breathe in some air. Go outside. Touch a tree. Talk, talk or look or be with something that's a natural, like you. That's like a natural um, entity, spirit. And just seriously look and say, you know, what am I worth? Is there problems? Is there really problems that I'm having? And, and you said it before. It's, it's all about resolving unresolved problems. Mm-hmm. Is there problems? That the medicine loves to unresolve, likes to resolve problems. It, by, doing, by doing that, it, it allows you to get the understanding necessary to resolve the problems. Right there, that gives you the understanding that's necessary to resolve the problems. Right. Like some people are so traumatized, they just, they, they feel like they deserve the problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that's often like, so with addicts, it, that's what will happen to someone who's like that. Like, you know, they might be, they, they might think that the trauma might be so bad where they think they're not good enough that they'll abuse themselves to the point where family members have to try to send them as an intervention to save themselves. Mm-hmm. But let's be real. It'd be a lot easier if someone just made the own choice to do it on their own. And so what's good about a podcast like yours and, and, and us talking about this is it will give even, you know, some people the understanding before they have to have an emergency traumatic event to say, hey, maybe there's something out there that can really help. So back before I finish, back to microdosing and all these other things, what we do is use the medicine in a super um, beautiful way, right? Like the dosing is impeccable. You got to know your medicine. You got to know where it came from. You got to know not only like on a scientific level, uh, the dosing in, in weight, but you also got to know like the spiritual level. How has this medicine been handled from, from the ground to the stomach, to the mouth? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. From earth to the mouth. How has this been handled? Spirit to spirit. How has this medicine been handled spirit to spirit? And then also there's the physicality of it, like, you know, knowing your medicine, like if you're using iboga root bark or if you're using a total alkaloid, like, you know, weighing everything down to the microgram. You know, mm-hmm. charting everything flowed out in a, in a, in a chart. I have like, I have like a, a running flow chart where I can look at it and instantly I've been doing it. Now I can see everybody's dosing and know exactly where you know people are and at what level they're at, you know, right. because time-wise I'm not doubling someone up. If it's a detox, I'm going to stretch it out to here. If I need to go to psycho spiritual, I could do, you see what I mean? Like there's a lot of experience. It's that more goes than in just people not, sitting around doing recreational drugs. I mean, I yeah, just want to say that because that's easy trying, to, for people to understand. Well, it is, and I think we're not trying to corner the market and just create this, like, you know, corporate um, enterprise that's just trying to get people in, like, we're the only ones who can give this out because, you know, it's not that. It's like, we know what we're doing, and I don't mind sharing it and, and even teaching other people and spreading it as much as possible and then creating, like, sustainable medicine lines that, you know, these medicines can become more accessible over in the West and then also give back to the people where it comes from. We could have lots of people doing this, but it needs to be done in the right context in the right way. And then, you know, on top of that, that's just the dosing. And then after the dosing, you know, we follow people from way before they, their phone calls leading up to it. I mean, I'm getting we're, my team and us are people. I know a lot of good people. We, we start tracking people from right the second they call, you know, and tracking them through things we do working on like identifying certain areas that are going to be beneficial to target while we do the treatment. So, right? yeah, so, go ahead. Yeah. So the lot goes into our talks, a lot goes into what, how we talk to people. And then when it comes down to that point where, you know, someone gets that detox and they get all that fuzz, fuzz and stuff and those gut-wrenching twists and turns all cleared out of the way, they finally soften up a bit and, and are a little more humble to start saying, hey, you know what, I am worth it 
you know what I mean? I'm worth it and let's do this. Then we can go in and like really face, you know, face these. I believe it gives people courage too. People's souls give people's courage to face these problems. You know why? Because they realize that anything like this is getting between them and their soul. Mm-hmm. That's it. Why are you separated? What is keeping you separated? You know, what is doing that? And so, um, what's the solution? You know, mm-hmm. how are we going to get, how are we going to, how are we going to get back together and stay together? Right. How are we going to do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then that, um, cohesion, that solidification and that union with oneself that now wrapped up is what can allow someone to walk forward and, and, you know, bust through addictions, um, re- rectify relationships, become better parents, you know, um, change a job and do something that they really want to do because th- what they were doing was just, you know, something they had to do. They thought, you know, give them the courage to move forward in a life that they want. So what's that really worth, you know, and, and different things like this, but that's what this medicine is. Yeah. And that's what it can do. So like for somebody that's, cause you know, I think about this, just what, like the expectation of how it can make you feel. I was talking to a friend of mine who's coming to do a retreat with you guys, him and his wife are coming. And he was like, you know, would you, what would you think about it? Like, what would you and your husband think about it? And I was like, honestly, like, I'm scared. And, you know, I guess for me, I, I like go back to the times where I've had, you know, too much LSD or something like that. And I'm like, oh, f- fuck, I don't want to ever experience that again, you know? So yeah, what, totally. what's that? And I'm sure everyone, I'm sure everyone has a different experience, just like any recreational use as well. But and I, what you said made, you know, when my friends were explaining this to me, they're like, you know, there's nurses there. It's very controlled. It's... It, you know, it's like there's, it's a thoughtful process. Yeah. And of course it's going to be, you know, slightly different for everyone, but it, there's still like a lot of commonalities. So I'll say like, so what, why, why, what's really driven you to come, come. Who me? Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't, well, it'll exclude everybody else out, right? It'll make it easier for us. Right, right. Well, I mean, I guess just, um, probably dealing with child, some childhood trauma for sure. Um, because the older I get, the more, and it's really interesting, the more I talk to people, the more things come back to me. I did this, I worked with this woman and one of our mutual friends, um, Mark, he's worked with her as well. And she does a lot of breath work and she used to live in Costa Rica. Her name's Nicole. And um, I forget exactly what, oh, transcendental meditation stuff, I think is what she does. But anyway, we were doing it and it was the most crazy out of a body, out of body experience I've ever had. And I don't say this lightly, but I have used recreational drugs in my past and I've done a lot of things, but this really, like, I could not get to, I was crawling to the bathroom and like shit that I had thought was in a locked vault came up. And it was like the most cathartic experience of my life, right? But it was kind of a one and done thing. She went back out to the West Coast. I had a few days where I was like feeling like a million bucks and like it was time to pull all this other stuff back. And then I got back into my life with my kids, my husband, my jobs, you know, and it kind of shut down. So I guess for me, it would be more of a sustainable experience if it was eight days. And it was like, I'm taking all this time and energy to put into it not being a one and done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I've heard a lot about actually the transcendental breath and um, how wild it, how wild that is. Um, so, I mean, you have this childhood trauma, you said, right? Yeah. Doesn't everybody? So, I mean... I'm not saying that as a joke <laughs> on some level. No, but the other thing is, um, I used to have that on my questionnaire. It was a, it was a mistype. It said, did you have any, did you experience childhood trauma? And it only had yes and yes. <laughs> I changed it after a while, but I kept it there for a while, actually. Um, but the thing is like, 
so, I mean, fear is obviously a normal thing. Like, I mean, and so which I try to look at it, learn about it now as more discernment. And instead of like looking at something and like the rites of passage taught us about this, like what's really, how much of fear is just your mind? What's the reality in fear? Right. So, or is there discernment? Like you want to, you want to be concerned about something. Like even they say, like if, if the tigers are, you know, chasing you in the jungle, like, Turning around and running in fear is not going to help anything. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. The only thing you can really do is stand straight on your feet, stare straight at it, grab onto your soul, and try to like poke him in the eye or something. You right. know? Yeah, so true. And, and, and you know, you trust your soul to save you at the last minute, where an elephant's going to come by and hit it. Like there's no point in running because mm-hmm. it's just going to make it go run faster. So, and I, and I know I'm not just sitting here telling you don't be afraid because obviously I'm saying it's 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 normal to do that. But now if you take this this trauma to say right. How much, like, is there is there a sense of sort of fear of you carrying that into your life or your children's life? Oh, yeah. Longer? Yes. Okay, so let's yeah. put, put that on the scale. Put it on a scale right now, like a balancing scale, right? Put that on a scale on one side. And now, you know, put the fear on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, or and then change that fear to discernment and about, you know, just, you know, let's talk about realism. Like, it, it is done in a very safe way. It's been used for a long, long time, right? And so let's say the safety is fine. We got the safety down, okay? You don't have to be fearful of the safety part. You, I mean, sure, you can be concerned about it, but but now there's the fear of, like, like what you said, digging and bringing all of this up, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a chance, and a good one, the harder you work at it. Remember the dance floor in the temple? Mm-hmm. They just do your best. So there's a chance that you can alleviate yourself by resolving these problems because you went to understand them and forgive and move past them. Care not to care. You care about yourself so much that you don't care about those problems anymore. So there's actually a real solution, solution on the table here, okay? So now you have the fear of living and passing these traumas on to yourself and your children on one side. And on the other side, you have this discernment now of the fears you have of facing this stuff you know, how does those scales look right now? I don't know yet. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of just starting to flirt with it a little bit. But I mean, I, I hear, like, I know clearly I don't want it to be like a lineage, like a history thing, right? That it just stays inside of me and then it gets passed down or, it, or they feel fear of something because they can sense that I feel fear of something. Well, it's just like, you know, and then it's just going to be a truthful thing like... Um, the medicine is loving and it really has an amazing ability for you to go in and get, get to know your own soul. Like who's being hurt by those fears, right? that trauma, you know, mm-hmm. who, who is being hurt by that? Right. Yeah. You know, like you, you have friends, you talk to friends a lot. Mm-hmm. Who's your good friend? You have a good friend? Yes. What's the quality that you like with your good friend? That we're honest with each other. And that yeah. we're always supportive of each other. And you could talk to her anytime. Yeah. You know, and you got to ask yourself, is that the relationship you have with your own soul? Mm. We need like three more hours or maybe eight days. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, though, you'll know right away. Do you treat, you know, do you and your soul have the same relationship that you have with your best friend? No. So there's why you go. Yeah. You know, you need, you, you, you can't like, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, driving your car around with no steering wheel. Mm hmm. It's true. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Makes sense. And, and so, 
I mean, these are fundamental life things that traditional Africans with no, like, anything but jungle and life and spirit and plant medicine from the earth. You know, they know more about, like, they've studied more about our life. You know, some people take seven years to study, you know, a business engineering degree or something. You mm-hmm. know? But you ask them, like, how much they've studied their own life for. Right. They, they go, what? Or if you ask them, like, you know, is there a difference between you and your mind? Mm-hmm. What, what have I asked you that? Um, y- yes. Exactly. Well, some, some, you know, are you kind of said yes a bit questioningly? I mean, um, <laughs> no, there is. I mean, I know that like, you know, the, the narrative that's going on in my brain is not natural, is not like ultimately the reality. Well, yeah. And you've had some pretty profound experiences as well, especially with the breath work. But some, some people I'm saying when I, when they come to me, they, they've said, you know what, like, I'm not sure what's going on with this, but I feel there's something there. And, you know, but, but they're living like out of their eyes, like they're not even looking at their mind. It's just a tool that they can use. It's kind of like, that's the director and it's right away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And especially with addictions like that, that's where people get hijacked because the body's just communicating right to the mind, and the mind's just telling everything what to do. There's no, there's no escaping. The person's soul is imprisoned. Right. You know. So you need to be able to sort of a book allows you to step back and look at these patterns and and that are happening. I I called it um one journey of mine. I was gonna I was gonna, oh I'll write a book called Distracted from Love. Because all of a sudden I was like looking at these patterns that had been, you know, I seen them when I was just little. All of a sudden, I, the way I react to something, and I react without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm, totally. Someone says something to me, and I react. But this reaction was created from a pattern that was a long time ago as some sort of mechanism that I came up with, probably to protect me from something or whatever it was, right? So I started coming up with this thing about you know, stay in the love lane. So that you're driving in the love lane. You know, how often do you get driving out of the love lane every day? You know, like you know, you're you're swerving off into the other lane or like sometimes you get so crazy distracted, you get right thrown over to the other side into oncoming traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so it's about staying in the love lane with yourself with and connected with your soul. And that's going to go in and be able to see what is keeping you, um, you know, what keeps, dri- what keeps drive taking you off the road? Like what are, what are these obstacles that are, you know, making you swerve? Mm-hmm. What's standing between you? What thoughts are between you and you? Mm. you know, and, and, and where they're coming from the mind. So are they real or not? Like, that's the thing. 90% of what goes through people's heads all day long is probably not even real. Mm-hmm. Iboga will fasten you into reality. It's going to give you the truth, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a little, a little too much, but I mean, you slow it down a bit and you need to digest it. The thing is you come out the other end, it's so much better. It's like, it's the opposite of like when you were young and went partying, you know, you, you party and then you get a hangover. Yep. This is kind of like, you kind of go through the hangover first, you know, and then you come out, but it's, it's a real, real, it's not, it's, it's, it's not based on anything. You know, and that's one thing with the documentary with Adrienne, where we had to get was like, after we finally got rid of like, I mean, through, through a lot of the addiction, then I had Adrienne to deal with and her anxiety level was like through the roof. Mm-hmm. She had never, and I said it once in the movie, I think, and it probably goes by fast, but it's super important. I said to her, this is the first time you've ever had to deal with anything on your own. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we ended up going to the hospital after that. Yep, I remember. We were trying to go to the movies. Yep. But, I mean, it's just like, she, she every time her emotions or thoughts, like every time a thought came up that bothered her, she had just doused it with drugs. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So then, you know, we, then we get rid of that. Then what? Like, you know, who's going to help you survive your life now, you know, and, and only you are. Yeah. You have to re- reestablish that connection without the interruption of trauma. The trauma happened. Like the truth is it's already happened. It's in the past. It's not real anymore. It's an, it's an unfortunate truth for some people. I tell you. Complacency doesn't live in that, that back zone. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Complacency gets extinguished when someone realizes that the past is not real anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it, you know, what does it do? It, it, it makes um, depression, you know, realistically disappear. Right. And the same if your mind waters, like, wanders in the front. So if you're driving a car and you're on your phone, you're, you're driving the car, but you're on the phone... So if you're you know, living your life, but you're thinking about anxiety, like you're projecting things into the future, and it's not to say you can't use your mind as a very skillful tool to look into the future. To that's what it's for, to make plans where you're going to go, to like you know use it to go there and direct. But if you're using it as a tool that's just fastened into making up, you know, assumptions, assumptions, assumptions. You know, assumptions are very dangerous. So if that's where anxiety comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Your out of control I, mind is, is triggered by all the trauma because this has happened and you haven't even, and, and you're like, well, how can something, you know, still be affecting me from such, from such a young age and everything like that. And it's because, because it's, it's sitting there. Like it's almost like it becomes like a lens that everything's projected through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you know it makes I mean? total and, sense. And when, yeah. Your poor best friend is just like, what, would you let your friend be like that? I mean, like, where's she right now? If you knew she was trapped in a, like, stress bubble, a traumatic stress bubble right now. Mm-hmm. She is. <laughs> you know? And then, then if you knew that she does have traumas, too, and then you, by going in and doing something like this and learning and understanding and freeing your own soul, was going to be enough light to illuminate her path to go do the same? Yeah. Passy. I feel you. Know, you. That's why. Yeah. That's why I did the documentaries. Yep. No, and I think it's it, it's so. I'm so glad that I was able to watch them before we had this conversation. I'm going to encourage people to do that as well, just because I think it all lands. You, when you can see it, you can visualize it, and you can see it, you know, a little bit differently. Because um, I, I know we have we're coming close to our time, but I do want to ask you just a few other things. Just that I know, like when I was talking to a few people, they they were interested in these things. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the. Um, is wrong with my brain right now. Hold on, sorry. Um, we talked a little bit about plant medicine, and you were mentioning some things that, to me, like um, the ketamine and a few other things that are not plant based, but they're all grouped together. Are they? Are is the, all this legal in Canada? Psilocybin and um, ketamine and MDMA mm-hmm. are all like on the cusp of like being somewhere almost legal sort of situation, you know, where there's clinical trials going on because they realize the potential. And usually, you know, you know, veterans or cancer patients or like, you know, are, are getting special sort of um, um, alleviations or whatever you call that special conditions where they're able mm-hmm. to like to use it. So it's definitely moving that way. Um, to be honest, I understand where Iboga would be, you know, because I've I've had, I've spoke with Health Canada and they put it on the PDL, which is the prescription drug list. Um, they didn't make it into a like a like a something where it's called a, like an illegal narcotic, but they they made it so it's definitely something a doctor. So it needs to go through. Ibogaine is going through clinical trials here, and, and I think you know 
I know there's companies and different things. I think Ibogaine will become, you know, usable in Canada. Um, then with what I do with Ibogaine TA, I mean, it's going to take clinical trials on that. And But it might also go the other way where, you know, traditional use might get accepted maybe on the First Nations land or even anywhere where, you know, because it, it can be used in a traditional way. Um, you know, so... Canada's kind of like, you know, slowly moving that way. You know, a lot of places in the United States are decriminalizing. You know, even Iboga got decriminalized in Oakland. Okay. And probably some other places now where people can use it, you know. Do you think that that's like a little bit, I'm not, I don't know if scary is the right word, but like how people can take anything and, you know, make it into something that maybe it shouldn't be used as? Yeah, and again, like, I mean, a lot of people use it, and, and I'm not going to say don't, because it, it can help a lot of people, and especially if they use it right and slowly. I'm just saying, I think, you know, before the mass adoption and just crazy, like, popping them like Pez pills, there's there's got to be a sacred element that is really um, distinguished between normal, everyday use and sacred ceremonial use. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, like, the, you don't, like, you know, when you go get surgery on your heart, I mean, you go to a hospital and you're in a special room right you know with a big light and a lot of like equipment and different things right like it's only normal so when you're you know for someone to really feel safe to be able to allow themselves to visit such a traumatic time and to have that vibrational energy reverberating through the to to be able to actually rewire and change this this entire system do you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm Yep. You no, know, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it's happening anyways. That's the truth, right? This trauma is going down anyways. Right. You know, it's it's the, the truth of it is is, is the, the sooner you face it, the better. Because mm. the truth will set you free. Right. You know, and this medicine is a, it's a medicine for the mind. You know, and and a lot of us out there who have learned to not only use it um, in a safe way, we've learned to use it in a traditional way. So, I mean, and I always say to some people, they're like, well, why do I got to go to Africa? And they can, or where should we learn the traditions of the Africans who use it for so long? Well, like, the fact that you're even talking to me right now proves that it makes a lot of sense because, like, how would you have managed coming up with 26 letters and putting them into words right. by yourself? Right, right, right. I mean, you, you'd still be babbling like a baby, to be honest, I'm sure. Right. Maybe moaning and grunting a little bit, or like maybe I'm not saying you wouldn't come up with the language, but to be able to construct like long sentences with like an extreme dialogue and beautiful express- expressions, like we're doing at the moment, to be able to like actually like you know direct the, our thoughts into beautiful strategies that we can you know enlighten our souls and lives might be difficult. Mm-hmm. So I think you just really need to look at like you know what are you worth, what do you want. These are options. This it might not be the option for everybody, and there's lot, there is other options. Like whatever, you know, can engage someone to take a more healthy look at their life and maybe look at maybe how they work. Like that's what it is. It's understanding how life works. So, so you are life. Like, you know, everything you have comes from life. Everything you want comes from life. But you are life. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Right? Yeah. Totally. So the soul in action is the law of attraction, and so you got to get that soul orang in action. So like you're a little manifester creator, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're on the right track and you want to start making decisions based on what's good for you, not the, what you think you are, but who you know you are. This is about who you are knowing who you are, not who you think you are, who you know who you are. This is about knowing. It's not about trying. 
It's not about uh, having faith and believing in something because even believing is 100%. This is about 110% knowing who you are. And then once you know who you are and where you are, then you can know where you want to go. Yeah. How are you supposed to know what you want if you don't know who you are? True. So yeah. you got to learn to this, um, this ancient old um, system of like manifestation between you and your soul. Get connected to your soul, then you can direct where you want to go. Soul is the goal. I love it. It's so true. This is awesome. I wish we had more time because I feel like I could ask you more questions and listen to you talk about this all day, but this definitely scratched the surface and maybe we can get back together again, but I just really appreciate you sharing all this information, talking to us. Um, For people that are interested in finding you guys, can you tell us how they can find you? Um, So thank you very much for having me on. I love talking about this and spreading this kind of word to people because it's such a abstract new thing that is really amazing um there's some beautiful people that are around all your guys's neighborhood over the united states you know that are are beginning to work with this i think people would be surprised if they really knew Mm -hmm. um so you can get a hold of us we're on my bogusol i bogusol you can write to i bogusol mark at i bogusol info at i bogusol but i also work with um tour boogie and Elizabeth Bast and our um, wonderful medical team, which is Patrick and Michelle Fishley and my wife, Robin Howard. And so the best way right now is we have a place in Costa Rica, a beautiful center there. Um, and we have a business together called Soul Centro. So it's elizabethbast.net. Mm-hmm. Hope I got that right, bast.net. But either way, you could write. So um, you go to ibogasoul.com. And write at info at abogasol.com and you'll find um, a list of our retreats that are offered over the next eight months. And then we'll have a new list eventually. That's awesome. In the future. But we will also, we'll post that also in the notes for the um, episode. And Mark, thank yep. you so much for your time. Um, I'm super excited for people to hear about this and we'll go from there. It was an honor. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Have a great day. 